and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. My name is Carla. I have been a dog groomer since 2014. Over time, be it before an exam, at the side of a competition ring or online, I have had many a quiet chat with fellow dog groomers who, like myself, struggle at times to balance life, work and maintaining a healthy well-being. My aim is to talk to both professional dog groomers and mental health professionals to help us understand what triggers stress and anxiety within our industry, why so many of us struggle with our mental health and what we can do to help ourselves. I also want to share stories and handy tips to make life in the salon easier. I am not a professional in mental health and I am not qualified or trained to give advice in this area. I am however interested in mental health and what effects our work can have on our well-being and finding ways to help. So, whether you are a brand new groomer or you have been at it for decades, whether you struggle with your mental health or work with a groomer who does, this podcast is for you. Hello and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. Firstly, I hope that everyone who attended the grooming show had fun, bought themselves something nice and most importantly, learnt something. This week, I'm talking to Caroline Anderson. She is a groomer from Lancashire who also is a wellbeing coach and runs the horse's path. She works with people who need help with all sorts of things. She runs courses face-to-face and online, both one-to-one and in groups. It was such a beautiful conversation where the more we talked, the more it became clear with how she uses the model of the horse to represent how she coaches and how the horses get involved too. Caroline is a BHS stage two coach, a trauma-informed equine wellbeing coach with both Equimotional and Project Pony. She has her PGCE and Sitting Guild Level 3 dog grooming certificate. She's been grooming over 15 years and has experience running larger and smaller salons. I really hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Here we go. Hi Caroline, welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers. How are you today? Hi. Yeah, I'm really good today. It's day off from dog grooming and uh, doing any of the uh, horse therapies. So what I've been down, done all the horses this morning. And yeah, it's lovely seeing them every day. So that's good. Oh, it's a nice way to start your day off. But then also it's like when you have horses and animals, it's the same as dogs. You've still got to get up and work with them and get get them sorted and that. So you don't tend to get a lay in so much when you're a, a sort of horse. No, there's never really a day off. <laughs> So to get us started, can you introduce us sort of firstly as a groomer, what sort of a salon you sort of work in and how long you've been grooming? Yeah, I've been grooming about 15 years now and I started off uh, renting quite a big salon. I was there for about 10 years and built up and had staff and had table renters, things like that. And it was actually because of COVID and everything just it just got too much really and I was like I need to scale things down a little bit so I found a smaller unit and we kept the staff on and but even again it just it was so hard to get on top of everything because even though the government grants were fantastic but then you've got all the tax that you had to pay on them and it was just all of it was getting too much yeah so at the minute I'm actually at home I've um, narrowed it right down and I'm grooming from home and I'm really enjoying it. There's downsides to being a home groomer as well. Like customers coming into your house and letting the dogs wheel all over your garden and stuff. <laughs> but um, so there are some downsides. But yeah, it just kind of feels nice, if you know what I mean. I'm not 100% sure if I go back into trying to run a full salon again. Yeah. I think I've been doing it that long now. 
I think that's for other people. They can do that now. I'm that, happy yeah. to move on that. We've had quite a few guests on here that said that they sort of started small, worked up really big, and then gradually trickled back down to small again because, like yeah. you said, it can be very overwhelming, can't it? Sorting out all your all your stuff, all your bookings, a bigger salon to keep tidy and keep updated to you know standard, and basically, you don't want it running your life, do you? Once you get to a certain point, I think. Yeah, and that's exactly what it did with me. It was running my life and I was just getting really overwhelmed by it all and I was getting really burnt out. That's a massive thing. I was getting burnt out by everything. Um, yeah. And I did have like personal things going on in my life as well and, you know, like some traumas and I, I needed to kind of just bring everything back a little bit really just to, for my own well-being. Makes so. a lot of sense because all these things do mount up both in and outside of work, don't they? And they all sort yeah. of mingle in together. And I think one person can only really take so much. I definitely know, know what you mean there. So outside of the grooming now, you're also a wellbeing coach. Can you mm -hmm. tell us how you got into that? Did the grooming come first? Did the coaching come first? Yeah, just a little bit about how you got into it. Yeah, it's actually a really interesting question, which came first. Because in theory of when I opened the companies and when I was running things, then the grooming came first. But okay. actually, when I look back, I've always done sort of coaching or nurturing or caring for people's needs from a really young age. Because we had um, in our family, um, one of our best friends was quite brutally murdered when I was nine. And my younger sister struggled with that. So I was there and cared for her from that. You know, part of doing this program myself as well, I've realised that my core value, if you like, is to really nurture. And I think it's sort of developed from that. And yeah. so whatever I've done, even when I've been teaching people horse riding or I've always helped on the mental health aspect. And, you know, if they're getting nervous at horse shows or anxious about what a horse might be doing or something, I've always worked on that side of it. Mm -hmm. And then I became an assistant head for a land-based college. And I got very much involved with the student service side and doing yeah. like loads of personal tutorials with the students. And I went so in-depth with the students. And so many of them sort of said to me, you know, you should be a counsellor. And I didn't really <laughs> think much of it at the time. And obviously I couldn't counsel them. I had to refer them if I thought they needed extra help. But I would really go through things and trying to build the self-esteem and the confidence. And, you know, and it did help with their education and everything as well. But I just felt it was something that came really naturally to me. Yeah, so it's kind of... And then, yeah, I was a dog groomer because, again, I, I got a bit too overwhelmed. I got too involved and put everything into being an assistant head. And I needed that break and became a dog groomer. Mm -hmm. And then... But my passion, in all honesty, my passion has always been to work with horses. Yeah. Horses are like my heart animal. And they've just always... That's what I've always wanted to do. But I could never find the right route into working with horses yeah all the sort of conventional traditional styles I felt forced the horse to do things they didn't really want to do okay. and it never quite sat right with me and then yeah so I kind of found this way of doing it and yeah. I was able to help I was in court able to incorporate both then how did you actually find out about the equine therapy and sort of like how did you start getting into that side of the the horse industry yeah, well, it was, we um, Lisa stable yard and we had some liveries and one livery just said, you know, you should get a Shetland or something and let kids just come after school and do a bit of pony petting or something like that. Um, and I was like, yeah, but you know, you think there's something more. 
I feel mm-hmm. I just felt like there was something more to it. And yeah. maybe, you know, the academic side of me, I was like, I need to research this. So I started <laughs> researching it, started looking through things, and I found equine facilitated learning and right. equine facilitated therapy. Now that I don't think makes a lot of sense, the title. I think it it sounds a bit nonsense. Right. Okay. Not, but it's a bad title. But if you say it to the general layperson, I've got no idea what it means. When I was looking you up, I was a bit like, I need to research this. I need to look yeah. up what I'm actually asking this person about. And Yeah, and it is the hardest thing to get across to people as to what it actually is. So I try and not use those terms as much as possible and use more like equine wellbeing coach because we work on wellbeing is basically what we do. So, yeah, and I found this equine facilitated learning. There's lots of different programs and qualifications you can get. Um, and I was really interested in one where, again, the horses were used very naturally and there was consent from the horses as well as the client. Some yeah. programs are quite the more activity based. This was more consent based from both sides. And that sat really well with me. Yeah. So I found a provider. I went through through it myself and actually healed and let go of traumas that I didn't even realise I was just completely numbing everything myself. And then I got the qualification and became a trauma-informed coach myself then. And that's how I started, really. That's great. So can you sort of explain a bit more about how the model of the horse is incorporated into your coaching session? Yeah, of course. So the whole sessions, so we kind of, we can do little bite-sized sessions or if you wanted to do the whole thing, it's like 16 weeks really. Although you could come every week if you wanted to, there's always something you could do. Yeah. But um, yeah, we basically, there's a lot of theory because you do need to know that side of it. But then we bring the horse in, like for example, if we're doing boundaries, there'll be a little bit of theory so you understand what boundaries are and what your boundaries are because a lot of people don't know them and then we would practice so if it's a one-to-one it'd be me and the client if it's a group session then the group would practice and I'd show them how they feel when the boundaries are being crossed we do a little bit of an exercise without the horse to start with yeah and then we would bring the horse in and you've got to read the horse's body language to see their boundaries so then they can start to read other people's body language as well okay Um, and then also watching how the horse reacts to your boundaries and how you can say no this is too close and you can back the horse away from you and things so like that's one example of how we'd incorporate horses into it and how do how do the horses actually react when they sense that someone's a bit sort of anxious or getting a bit sort of overwhelmed yeah I mean it can be quite different um, and that's why you've got to know your horses you're working with and for me as a coach and facilitator I make sure I really know the horses that I'm working with so for example I think it was a couple of weeks ago and shares one of my horses was in the school. There's two people um, in the school in the arena and one person, he would go up to her very gently and he'd start just like opening and yawning and licking his lips a little bit. And I said to her, you know, are there any tensions or anxieties you're feeling at the minute? Because he's releasing some sort of negative energy for you. So that's how he was showing it to her. And at first she said no, and then he walked away from her. Um, he's very much if you're not being true he will just go yeah okay I'll walk away <laughs> and then he went back over to her and he started doing it again and I was like just try and have a little bit more of a think do some breathing is there anything you're not feeling comfortable with and she was like 
yeah, I don't actually like being in new environments around new people. It can take me a while to settle. And that's what he was releasing for her. And then the other person, she was grounding and, you know, she's done all the grounding and everything, but he wouldn't quite go close to her. He was keeping like a boundary circle around her. And I went, so you do know how to ground. We've been through the program with you. You know how to be mindful and in the moment. You're Mm -hmm. doing all the techniques, right? But why do you think he's not coming anywhere near you? He's just keeping his boundary around you. And she was like, oh, I don't know. What are you actually thinking of when you're trying to ground and trying to be in the moment? And she went, well, I'm freezing and I'm starving. And I was like, (laughs) that's what it is. is." So like, you know, I don't know if you've heard of um, the hierarchy, Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, I have. Her needs weren't being met. So her basic needs weren't being met. So she couldn't ground properly and she couldn't be perfectly in the moment because she was hungry and she was cold. (laughs) So as soon as she recognised that, she just walked up to her. He was like, yeah, okay. But she was she had that block because she couldn't properly ground because she had that block, and then he just walked up to her once she realised it. Oh, yeah, it's quite... and you can't blame her because we all get a bit hangry at times. So exactly, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, when I need a sandwich break. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing worse than being cold because your body's tensing up, everything's tensing up, and then even if you're not giving off negative vibes, you still sort of are because it's yeah. a similar sort of body language, isn't it? So yeah. Exactly. I can see how that it definitely shows you. And it's nice. That it's, it's really subtle signs from the horse as well. So like you said about sort of like the yawning, licking lips, not quite coming so close. Like the, the horse has got the freedom to do what it wants. The horse isn't feeling under pressure, but you know the horse well enough to know the first signs of it sort of sensing some kind of vibe going on or... Because horses are really sensitive, aren't they? I know, know, like, obviously you're really familiar with horses. I used to ride a lot when I was younger, all the way up to about 18, actually. So I've spent a lot of time with horses myself. But it's it's alarming how many people don't get time to spend with horses and they don't get the opportunities if they maybe live in big cities and you don't just have a horse field up the road like you do here. I've got probably three horses in the field opposite my house that I can look out on every morning when I get up, which is lovely. But... For people who don't really know much about horses, can you just like maybe just tell us a bit about them? Because not everyone has had the chance to be up close and spend time with them. People can be quite nervous of horses as well, especially if you haven't really spent time with them. Mm-hmm. So we do have horses of all different sizes. We have a little miniature Shetland. Then we have two standard size Shetlands. And then we do have slightly bigger horses as well. But they have this, they just have this really natural way of knowing how you're feeling and they will leave you alone if you need to be left alone or they'll come up to you if they need to come up to you or if you fit or if they feel you need that they give like an instant feedback to you it's actually a big accomplishment if they can be near a horse be really yeah. for people actually yeah it's a big deal in itself when you're not a horsey person when i used to be a dance teacher i had some dance members from london from a different co- dance company come and stay with me and They'd lived right in the centre of London all their life. They'd never come across horses bar at the zoo. And I was like, horses at the zoo? What? Horses aren't zoo animals. (laughs) But to them, that was the only place they'd ever met a horse. And these were fully grown adult males. And they'd gone up to this horse that was at the B&B that they were staying at. And they, you could see on their face, they was like, whoa. Yeah. And these horses, bearing in mind, they were three shy horses. So the like, biggest horses, oh, so were the probably, probably the biggest horses you can get. <laughs> but you could see the look on their face like, oh, it's almost like they was walking up to a lion or something. So, yeah, that's and that's it. It can be just that interaction when people were able to calm the nervous system. Because one thing we always do 
um, and I'm a massive believer in is that the first sessions, as well as sort of introducing and all that sort of stuff, is getting people to understand the nervous system and how to regulate it because that is all connected to your emotions mm-hmm. um, and how you're feeling. So once people are able to do that and they know how to come into a calm space, that is how you naturally have to be around horses. Um, yeah. So that really helps them overcome a big, like, a big achievement of just going... Oh. Actually, these horses aren't that scary and I can control my emotions enough to mm-hmm. be able to do that. And then once they start communicating with them, it's it's just brilliant. And they also heard, learn that horses, because everyone's heard of like, you know, dogs being used in therapy and stuff, but not so yeah. much horses being used in therapy. But horses, like their emotional resilience is amazing. And they really do live in the moment. And they will do things like, um, you know, if they get triggered by something, they will see something. I mean, this is a really basic sort of description, but yeah. they'll see something, they'll look at it, it, they'll decide what they need to do, whether they go into, you know, flight or fight mode. Usually it's flight mode for a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they don't, you know, once they've reacted and decided what to do, they'll go back to grazing. And that's yeah. actually one term we quite like to sort of use. We're like, we need to get you lot back to grazing, basically. <laughs> get your back down <laughs> I like that idea so a lot of the things that you've just said are really good for people who do struggle um mentally at times because we all know what it's like when you're sort of really anxious and you've got loads going on the ultimate like goal is you want to be calm but it's figuring out how to get to that isn't it and yes. we all have boundaries and like you say it can become very muddled what they are and for an animal to be so clear-cut and I mean even dogs are quite similar in a way as well it's just that Mm. they're more sort of domesticated in the fact that they're in the house with us so it's it's they've got not quite the wildness of a horse a horse is obviously you know human and horse interaction is well known throughout the years but I mean they're not quite in your house and in your bed are they like a dog (laughs) 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 although we do have a little Shetland called Lady P or Penny and I wouldn't mind her in the house. Oh. <laughs> she could come in the house. She's so tiny. She's adorable. You'd still want a king size, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> Our poodles are bigger than her. Really? Yeah. Wow. She's tiny. Oh, she's really tiny. She's so, so tiny. So that's the therapy side of things when you're sort of there in the face, interacting with the horses and yourself. And I know that you also do coaching online. So how does it work online when you're not actually, you haven't got the horse there and it's just you and your client? How's that slightly different? Okay, so when it comes to the online work, whether it is group or one-to-one, I do really like group online work because then you can become part of a like-minded community where you all support each other. And it is really, really helpful that way. And we go through a lot of the theory and then they would do, we do some practical online as well. So for example, again, teach about the nervous system and how you regulate that. Don't go into full on science, although some people do quite like the sciencey aspect and I can send them more information if they wanted to. But then we would go over things like really simple things. Well, sounds simple, but it's really hard. So we'd maybe get them to do a task of a bit of reflective writing and there'd be three questions. So say the first question would be write a letter to your past self, write a letter to your future self, and then say thank you and forgive your present self. And it can be so like emotional and powerful to people. Um, so we would actually go more on the well-being side because you can't get the experiential side that you do when you're actually with the horses so it'd be very much 
an online going through different stages of well-being and helping promote self-esteem, confidence, imposter syndrome, getting rid of all that, you know, all that side of it. We would basically go through quite detailed help, mindfulness, you know, guided meditations. And one that's really powerful as well is body scanning, but that would be done later on because people need to be in a, um, they need to understand a lot more about themselves before we do body scanning. That can be quite a, a powerful one. So, Okay. What, what is body scanning? I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So body scanning, and I do send it to my clients afterwards. I will do like a um, voice recording and I'll send it to them so they can do it at home afterwards. I guide them into a bit of a meditative state and they will be stood there in the, say, in the field or we can do it. You know, I could do it with you now. I won't do, obviously, but um, <laughs> and it's focusing on different, like every single part of your body and yeah. feeling the sensations, but not trying to change anything. And then it's seeing which is the most prominent sensation you get. And then you go to that most prominent sensation and you ask a question of it and whatever comes out, you do it or you say yeah. it. Or And it's actually people, if you explain it too much to people at first, they're a bit like, sounds a little bit weird, but yeah. it is so powerful. And everyone I've done it with has pretty much cried or it's just released something they've never been able to release. And it's yeah. very powerful. It sounds like this this sort of coaching incorporates a lot of other types of therapy that I've heard of. It's like every so often you say something and it sort of rings a bell of something else. And it's really nice how it's all blended together. So for example, when you was talking about writing letters to previous future and present self, that yeah. has come up in um, counseling sessions that I've heard about. So that's something that I've heard of before in that respect. And then when you say about people coming in and working with the horses and having to push like not push the anxiety down but to sort of release it in yeah. order to relax and bond sort of and have the horses close that's kind of like your cold water therapy because if you're jumping into yeah. freezing cold water you have to be calm and you have to clear that mind and it's obviously you've got a horse or you've got cold water but it's a similar sort of sort it of is and, and one thing we never ever want to do i'm not into this whole pursuit of happiness or positive or negative positivity yeah. We teach you to feel every emotion, the good and the bad ones, because yeah. if you don't know bad emotions, you don't know good ones either. And people try and numb out the bad. But what happens is you can't actually selectively numb emotions. You end up numbing everything. And that's what I used to do. And I mean, I've never grieved before until last November. We had to have a horse put to sleep. And then I grieved everything. And I've oh. never been able to do that before. And you know what? It's such an, it's a hard process, but it's so important. Mm. And I feel like I've healed so much better from being able to do that. Yeah. Um, such so, a weird yeah. one, how it can be bottled up for so long or yeah. it can trickle out a little bit here and there, or like you say, it can all just pour out at once. It's such a, you can't, you can't ever guess what it's going to, what's going to happen to who and how it affects different people in different ways. It's a, a really big one, grief. Yeah, it is a really, really big one. And a lot of what we do is we we try and we've got something called the uh, window of tolerance. And we basically try and um, increase that within that window. That's your sort of safe spot. You feel OK, you can deal with things. Yeah. Um, but things will happen in life and every day where it takes you up out of it, out of your window of tolerance. And that can maybe cause your anxiety, overwhelm, stress, things like that. You can have things that take you down um, outside of it as well. And that might be your depression and starting to shut down. But what we try and do is, is 
try and give you tools and teach you ways to bring you back into that window of tolerance quicker than maybe you would have done before. So it's all about kicking in that parasympathetic nervous system, basically. And yeah. that's the one that brings you back to your safe and your calm space. That's um, it. And it's all just, sort we of the same. To know that when all this kicks in, yeah. and when they get anxious and when they get into the fight, flight, freeze or fawn modes, it's completely natural. We don't want anyone to feel like they're not, it's not normal because it is. No. Um, and it's just your body's way of trying to protect you. But you don't want to stay stuck there. So that's what we try and help people. No, and so someone sort of explained anxiety to anxiety. <laughs> someone explained um someone explained anxiety to me once as being like in meerkat mode because you're out in the desert, you've got to have that adrenaline if there's predators about to yeah. you know, have your wits about you to hide up or to run away or to protect your young. You've got you need that adrenaline to help you in certain situations. But with anxiety, it was explained to me that sometimes that can be like stuck in that mode even when there's no yeah. danger. Um, oh, completely stuck. Yeah, learning how to switch it off. And yeah, it's really interesting how all these things come back to, again, how even though when you're doing it online, you're obviously not working with the horses, it still comes back to that in the respect that, like, you're still gently, gently breaking down these these um problems and gradually helping people like i've seen so i've seen i spend a lot of time at a stable in france when i lived over there and this chap was helping calm a horse down around a carrier bag on the long line and it was just gradually moving it gradually slower letting the horse figure it out you know backing away coming a bit closer being a bit inquisitive you know finding that level and then gradually moving that bag closer to the point where he could walk with the horse in one rain and the ha and the bag in the other hand and it was all so great it was beautiful to watch it was so gradual and so supportive and so friendly and just you know giving the, the horse that little test and then letting the horse do the work and that kind of sounds a bit like what you're saying how you work with your clients am i yes yeah. that, that's exactly it and you have you've you've basically got it completely that is what we do with there is guys and yes I you know I am qualified and I was qualified by a trauma-informed coach that's the course I went on but we also had psychologists as well who were training us and yeah. so that's why I think some of the aspects do cover that but it is it's about you've got to take people on that journey and give them the tools but at the end of the day you're not going to be there all the time and you can't hold a hand it is giving them those tools to be able to do it themselves and self-heal yeah but you're just helping them along the way and you're supporting them along the way uh, to get them to yeah a happier space a more joyous space in the life I suppose no that sounds great and obviously with you being um a, a dog groomer as well I know you like working with pet professionals when you're doing your sessions what sorts of problems do you find arises with them and just tell us a little bit about the help that you potentially could offer to someone who was a pet professional yeah well I mean to be honest with you and as well because I've been through it so I know and you you see on, you know, social media, things like that. There's so many times it's very repetitive, the questions that are asked. So even things like, and I suppose because of what I do, I look a bit deeper into them. Like mm -hmm. when people are saying, how many dogs do you groom a day? Or what do you charge for this, that and the other dog? And I think it's not always about them just wanting to know knowledge to give themselves goals. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is things like imposter syndrome, comparing themselves and 
that can always lead to anxiety, overwhelm, maybe starting to get a little bit depressed that they're not meeting those standards. Yeah. Uh, they don't feel like they're good enough to do competitions. Um, they don't know self their own self-worth. They can have quite low self-esteem. There can be a lot of guilt in dog groomers, you know, because mm -hmm. accidents do happen sometimes and there can be a lot of guilt and there can be overwhelm, anxiety. It's quite a lot, really. And of burnout, all the things. <laughs> yeah. Burnout is a massive thing for dog groomers. Yeah. Um, and but all these things can lead to burnout. And burnout can sometimes be that final result. And one thing that I think as well, when you've got all these feelings going, although people love who are dog groomers, it's, you know, they can get quite lonely if it's loan working. And that can be a big problem, too. And they love working with dogs. Most people would prefer to work with dogs than humans. And that's why they do it. That's one thing you see a lot on the dog grooming pages. Yeah. But they kind of can start to feel a little bit isolated. So we can help them have a little bit of a like-minded community where they can help each other. And when all these anxieties start to build up, that can also reflect on the communication with the dog. And even mm. though they think they're communicating quite well, sometimes that doesn't happen. And when you hear of like you know people saying about quite bad injuries and they've been bitten quite a lot of times and stuff like that then mm -hmm. quite often i wonder if it's because their anxiety is up the dog is feeding off that and yeah. then they're struggling to read each other so it can lead to injuries and all sorts yeah. basically so yeah, no that really makes a lot of sense and i think all the things that you listed off there a lot of groomers listening including myself would be like tick Tick, tick, yes. tick, tick. Yeah. It's not all the time. At least at some point you've gone through all of those things. And boundaries, you, you know, that's such a big thing for dog groomers. Boundaries yeah. with, um, say, staff, if they are with staff or other groomers that they're working with and customers. Yeah. Having those boundaries with customers, you know, that's even when you don't reply to messages at night and stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think that um, groomers do struggle a bit with setting goals for themselves? Because yes. if you've got all this imposter syndrome going on, like, oh, I can't do that. I can't, I don't deserve that. Or, you know, yeah. I don't, that, you know, that's what other people do. I, I couldn't possibly do that. Or I have to work that day off. Or I have to, do you know what I mean? You put it yeah. all on you. All of that is not great for your mental health as a whole but also it prevents you from setting those goals. Now, I really struggle with setting goals. If someone said to me, how much do you want to earn next year? I'd be like, well, I don't bloody know. As long as I'm as working, as I've got money <laughs> through the door. I don't even know yeah. what I earned last year. I'm still trying to figure that out while I'm doing my tax return as we speak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, these numbers all just go straight over my head. They don't mean anything to me. You know, they're not the sort of information I can retain. Yes, I'll know when I finish my tax return how much I earned that year, but that was bloody last year now. That's nothing to do with now. Yeah. Who knows what's happened this year? <laughs> so setting setting goals, like what do you want to earn? How many days do you want to work as of when you're 40, whatever? When, you know, where do you want to go on your dream holiday when you hit this milestone? All these things can become very muddled if you've got all this imposter syndrome going on and all this busyness and you no. haven't time to be mindful so can is that something that you can help with setting goals and just helping people work towards them? yeah I mean I would always do setting goals at the very end okay because just like you said you can't set goals if you've got all that other rubbish going on in your head right. you just can't okay. do it because you can't see how that's even possible mm. because there's just no way you've got too much already going on in your head yeah. So we need to work our way through and get all that out of your head and be able to deal with that when it does come back again. 
because it yeah. will do. It's life, you know, it <laughs> yeah. will do. And it's how to deal with it. And it's like then, a yo-yo, isn't it? Let it then go. you can start oh, yeah, goals. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. you can be like, oh, my God, I was dead stressed and dead anxious. You do the mindful breathing, maybe the five senses meditation or the body scanning if you're further down the line. Yeah. And then you can be like, okay, I've dealt with it. That's really good. I've done a bit of self-care, a bit of self-love, a bit of reflective journaling or whatever. Yeah. We also do something called a burning ceremony, which is great. Just yeah. burn all those past things, get rid of them, and then see what you want to bring back in. That's a really good ceremony, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so we wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider setting goals mm-hmm. until they're at that point where they can clear some space in the mind to be able to do it because that just creates overwhelm i think if you do it too soon so yeah goal setting is definitely something we could help with but what i would start with is maybe getting them to set intentions so rather than goals that they have to meet it's an intention so they put that intention out and then they release it and then they start to do things that help them get to that intention, basically. Start to imagine how they would feel if they were in that spot already. So if they were maybe working, say, four days a week or, you know, earning enough to pay the bills and so you could go on a holiday or whatever it was that was important to them, how would it feel to already be that person? Yeah, so it's creating that sort of manifestation together to put it into the... Exactly, yeah. That's another thing that I've I've heard of like manifesting things and imagining, but to me sometimes there's just like that block there, isn't there? It's like yes. well, I can't imagine even doing that. How do I manage? What would it feel like? I I can't even. Yeah. You don't know where to start, so you're that person sort of helping them figure it yeah. out and understand that it is possible and how to start putting the wheels into place as such. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I don't like ever pretend, and I suppose maybe like from being a dog groomer like you are with customers, I don't ever pretend I've got a magic wand and I can fix everything for you, mm-hmm. but I can get your headspace into a more positive headspace yeah. and I can get you to help move forward Yeah. rather yeah. than being so stuck. And even like really simple exercises that if you're getting too anxious or too overwhelmed and you know your head starts spiraling, mm-hmm. which can happen a lot when you're grooming or just in everyday life. Yeah. Like there's a couple of really good things. So the work for most, it depends which works for you best. Yeah. But say one thing you could do is just tell your brain to stop mm-hmm. and then go, bring me one thing, one thought that makes me happy. Yeah. And that can just stop everything. But it's you starting to take control of your own mind again. Because what's happening is you've got no control of that when it's spiraling. No. So that can be one thing you can do. You can just say, stop and bring me one happy thought. Okay. Or the other thing you can literally is just, it's going and going and going and you just go, stop. What is going to be my next thought? Mm-hmm. And do you know what? It makes you stop thinking of all that stuff that's <laughs> yeah. around in your head. Because you've that's got, oh, what thought. is my next thought? Uh, yeah. And it just sort of <laughs> stops. And it's a really sort of quick, easy thing you can do that just makes you go, Oh, now I can breathe. Just for a second, I can breathe and yeah. let my brain rest for a couple of minutes. Which is quite funny, really, because if you get one of them, what I call dizzy dogs on the table, sometimes you do just have to say, stop, and then distract yeah. them with something quickly to take them out of that mindset. And you're kind of like dog grooming, advising yourself at the table yeah. while you're grooming. <laughs> exactly. So do it to your brain. Take back control of your brain and just go, stop. Yeah. I've what is my next thought? I say to it, I go, stop sit and it's yeah. like oh good girl why not come praise you for something yeah. and, so, and that's it you can just say 
thank you brain well done yeah <laughs> one to me <laughs> yeah one to me so i know the other sort of group of people that you sort of mentioned to me previously you really like working with is um the neurodivergent people so can you tell me a bit about yeah. a similar sort of thing what sorts of things do they sort of tend to bring to your table and uh, what sorts of things can you help them with yeah it's really individual case by case or client by client dependent mm -hmm. on what is their needs so i really do like working with young adults or adults that have either been self-diagnosed or diagnosed late in life mm -hmm. um, because they maybe haven't had the support they needed when they were younger and they have really really struggled with things mm. they've kind of learned to block a lot out to be able to get through life without the support that they needed yeah. so they can come say if they came to the yard so a face-to-face -face session and there's the whole sensory aspect of it of it's not overwhelming it's calm but you can use all your senses as well so when we're doing the five senses meditation it's really good just to help you get back into the moment mm -hmm. and then the exercises we do we do have structure which can be really good for some people um who are neurodivergent but it is flexible so if you feel like we just need to go for a walk and, you know, we just need to go sit by the pond or sit under the tree and read, or you just yeah. want to do a bit of artwork somewhere, then we can do that as well. You know, that's not a problem. Mm. Um, we basically fit it to the need of the person. But, yeah. And there's the big thing with the nonverbal communication, sometimes people really struggle with the whole being social with people and how to communicate properly with people. And they struggle with that. And it can yeah. cause a lot of stress and anxiety. And they don't they don't struggle as much with the horses. They start to learn that they actually have to be calm around the horses. So we start to regulate the breathing and get them calmer. And they have to be calm for the horses. And then they can read little cues from the horses. And they talk to them, whether it's out loud or in the head, they yeah. will talk to the horse about stuff they maybe wouldn't talk to me or anyone else about. And they basically tell them their secrets. And they work with them that way. And it can be a bit of an icebreaker. And then they start to open up as the weeks go by. There's one neurodivergent adult I worked with and she's self-diagnosed ADHD mm -hmm. and she struggles a lot of overwhelm and anxiety and head just spiraling thoughts all the time. Yeah. And yeah, she uses the mindful techniques near enough daily now. And it's just being in that calm, non-judgmental environment. And I think that's yeah. the big thing. There's no judgment and you're not in like a little, a little room. You know, we're talking no. can sometimes be a bit, yeah. ooh, a bit daunting. Like the walls are coming in on you a little bit. You're not in that, that little room, you know. You, we can just get out and be in the open or we can do it in your own space. Sometimes I find it easier to have a really deep conversation if I'm out taking the dog for a walk with someone rather than just sitting there looking across the table with a cup of tea because you haven't oh, got exactly. that intimidating sort of face, even though it's not intimidating. It's, you know, it could be someone I generally really love and who really cares for me. But it's that pressure of, oh, I've got to speak now. Whereas when you're walking out in the wild or out in open fresh air, you can actually express what you're saying and be looking at the floor or looking at the trees. Exactly, you don't need that eye contact. On. Yeah, that's it. And it can be really you know, intimidating when you're trying to open up and show vulnerabilities. Because yeah. we really do encourage people to be vulnerable because it's so beautiful when you're vulnerable as well. And yeah. it shows real strength to be vulnerable. But that is, can be quite hard when you're both looking at each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it can be quite difficult to do. So, so no, just walk you, you can walk there. wherever you want. 
yeah if you've got a horse there or if you're doing some artwork like you say sometimes things come out easier when you've got something else you're also concentrating on because you're not so sort of on high alert of what you might be uncensoring or might be you know unleashing you know yeah. as you're talking exactly and it's like, like there's one example of a child um who was you know quite autistic and he at first struggled, um, they were trying to do the five senses with all the children and stuff like that. He needed more one-on-one. -on -one, and this was actually during my training. And he needed more one-on-one. -on -one. It was like a taster session um, that we were doing with them. He was in the school and we couldn't have got him to lead a pony or anything because that wouldn't have necessarily been safe, you know. Yeah. Because uh, his energy wasn't coming down quite enough. We weren't getting him to sort of, you know, come to us and listen to what we needed to do. But I could see that... He, he sort of gravitated to me and I could see that he was intrigued by the sand that was in the arena. Mm -hmm. So we started doing sand art just with our fingers. You know, we were just Aww. doing sand art and the pony was there and we were just doing sand art and that really started to get him to calm down. And I'll never forget it because I was like, should we go for a little bit of a walk around the school now? So if you hold the end of the lead rope that I'm holding mm -hmm. and we'll go for a walk around and there's like an obstacle course so you went over some poles and stuff like that. Which again just kept him thinking because he had to step over the poles and stuff whilst we were doing it. Yeah. And then I'd start to gently ask about the five senses just to bring him more into the moment. So yeah. I'd be like, what can you hear? And the horse was like going, Pfft. so we started doing that. <laughs> so we'd walk around the school doing that noise together. Yeah. And then I was like, can you taste anything? Is there anything you can taste at the minute? And he went, enough, this is so beautiful. He was like, I can taste the sun. And I was oh, like, you can taste the sun. I went, tell me how to taste the sun. And he went, if you open your mouth and put your tongue out. And I was like, tell me, what does it taste like to you? And he was like, it's warm and orange. Oh, and it was so just, cute. it was so lovely. <laughs> I see it in my eyes. Like, literally, I know, it was so lovely. And so we were there walking around, naked, making silly horse noises and sticking our tongue out, tasting the sun. Brilliant. And it was just so beautiful. Because then he just, we walked about three times around the school, whereas before... To start with, we couldn't get him to focus on anything, you know. And it was, yeah, it was really powerful, actually, and really beautiful. I'll never forget that. Aww. And so if if people sort of wanted to come and do some work with you, um, with anything that they sort of needed some help with, on the f very first session, whether it be online or face-to-face, -face, like what can they expect when they first meet you? Yeah, so if it's face-to-face, -face, they'll come and they'll have a look around the site and we'll introduce them to all the horses as well. So they do like a little bit of a meet the herd. Um, they will already have a really good sort of detail of what we do. They may not fully get it yet, mm -hmm. but they'll have good detail of what we do. And then the first session um, in person is near enough always going over like the emotional scale and how you can go from calm to dysregulation and basically disassociation so where you can go to your fight flight freeze or fawn um and then how you can come back down again so we'll teach you a little bit about the nervous system yeah and how you can kick start that parasympathetic nervous system because we like to call that like the parachute bringing you back down okay. um and so you could do mindful breathing or box breathing and that actually kick starts your parasympathetic nervous system and it kickstarts that to intervene and bring you back down again. Brilliant. So that's just something that they can take away with from that very first session is starting to, and we also connect, get them to connect the brain, so the emotion, to how that actually feels. Because if you say to most people, 
how does being anxious feel? They might say things like, oh, it gets me really angry and then I get stressed and then I get wound up and then I don't know what I'm doing. They don't know how it feels in the body. And as we've evolved, and this is where, again, horses are so good, they know how it feels in the body and how other people are feeling it in the body. Yeah. And we've lost that connection, a lot of us. We mm-hmm. are just, we're just in our heads all the time and we don't know how things feel in our body anymore. So yeah. that's one thing that we try and do on the first one. And again, we do that online as well. Um, if it's in group sessions, say with dog boomers, then we really try and just figure out as a group what the issues all are. So again, I know how to tailor specific things to that group as well. Um, so yeah, but we would definitely always work on that, just understanding emotions and making sure that from week one, they've yeah. got something to take away with them that they can put in action at home just if they are starting to get a little bit of overwhelm or a little bit anxious or something, they can just start to bring it back. So it's just sort of getting to know each other, getting to know each other's sort of scale of where they are, what they sort of want to achieve, and just really just just the starting blocks, really, just the building building in the relationship and understanding of each other and where you want to go with it, basically. Yeah, yeah. And do you feel like there is anything that i've missed is there anything that you um really want to get out there um i don't know i think maybe one thing i just i really wanted to say and i've not said because we have spoke quite a lot actually we've gone Mm. over quite a lot of things but one thing that i found really powerful for me um and this is from my own personal experience and i might get a bit emotional so i'm sorry if i do but um is when i was going through this whole process myself i was like Okay, now I've always worked with horses, so I've obviously got a good connection with them. I had my I've had my horse since he was 18 months old, and he's what is he now 13 now? And I was like, so I've always had a good connection with him, but I felt like there was something missing. Uh, I was kind of like, what is it? I didn't know what it was. And I started doing my training and I thought, well, do you know what? This is a different type of connection that I've ever had with horses before. Okay. So I spent some time in the school with him and he was loose in the school. And every time I walked up to him, because I was thinking, you know, trying to do the join up and things like that. So I was trying to walk up to him and he'd walk away. And I was like, why is he being like this? Yeah. And then every time I tried to walk up to him, he'd walk away. And then in the end, he walked right down to the bottom of the school. It's like a 50 meter school. He walked all the way. And I thought, right, okay. So I sat there and I was trying to do, do my breathing and trying to do all that sort of side of it. And he still, he came a bit closer, but still wouldn't come that close to me. So mm-hmm. then I was like, I need to start moving. So I started moving around just to try and you know get rid of any energy. And I was shaking, you know, shaking out my arms and stuff like that, getting rid of any tension that I might have had in my body. But he still, he was like, no, nope, not coming anywhere near you. And and then in the end, I just burst into tears and mm-hmm. I just let everything out. And I apologized to him. Sorry, this is where it gets me emotional. Yeah. Like I'd had a miscarriage and hysterectomy and stuff like that, and it had been since then, and I'd blocked everything out, and I hadn't shown any emotions or anything. And as soon as I let all that go, mm-hmm. he walked over to me and just put his head on my chest, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I think it's that—that's a massive message that can be sent about how you need to yeah. be really true to yourself. That's so powerful, and it's so hard to be true to yourself. Mm. And to be show vulnerable like vulnerabilities. That's why what we do is so it's so brilliant, really. 
he obviously knew he knew there was something wrong even if he didn't know what it was and he didn't know how to uh, you know think of it like a human would he knew that there was something wrong and then for you to break down and just be so you know like you say letting it out letting something obviously hadn't let out like that before and then him just coming over and comforting you that is that just sums up horses all round, doesn't it? Yes. Nothing better than yeah, putting your arms around a horse's um, neck and just having the biggest, yeah. the biggest cuddle. And he, oh no, that's lovely. No, thank yeah. You. So I think that's why I wanted to share that. I knew I'd get a little bit emotional saying it because no matter how many times I tell the story, I do. Yeah. But that's kind of that takeaway moment, and that's when that light bulb moment was for me. That this is such a perfect way to help people heal, and it's so important that we don't numb emotions because that's what I did. I oh, held everything that, in doesn't it? and numbed everything and yeah. it's not the right way to do it. No. And so if people would like to get some help with you, mm-hmm. what's the best way for them to get in touch? Um, well, they can email me, which is the horsespath one at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And then they can also uh, find me or find my website, which is the horsespath.com. And yeah. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, which is at Horses Path. So, Brilliant. yeah, you can DM me on there as well. But yeah. um, email or DMing, definitely the best way. Brilliant. And I'll put all of them in the show notes as well. So if anyone didn't quite get a chance to get to a pen, just look it up in the show notes and you'll get your link straight there. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to me, Caroline. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been, been so interesting. And I really for something that I knew absolutely nothing about you've made it so clear and I totally get what I totally get what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it and I just think it's beautiful so well thank done you. you thank you oh well have a, a lovely rest of your day um and yeah thank I can't thank you enough thank you very much thank you so much it's been lovely talking to you bye bye what an amazing chat with Caroline I love those sorts of conversations that go off on tangents, inform us and provide us with techniques to try and a really beautiful insight to what Caroline does and why she does it. It's amazing that she understands our job too. All of her details can be found on the show notes. I also forgot to mention after speaking to Colin last week that his website and details of Master Groom and the Grooming Conference is in his episode's show notes. Next week, we are staying with the animal theme but we will be talking to one of our current groom team representatives, Nancy Ringcat, about her animal love outside of the grooming salon, jumping spiders, why she likes them, and a whole load of facts that leave me less scared and more interested. I know some people have huge phobias of spiders, so next week, if you want to skip the spider chat, you can skip straight to the final questions, and I'll put in the show notes where you need to skip to. I can't wait for you to hear the interview. As even in the final questions, Nancy gave me some really interesting answers that we haven't actually heard before. In the meantime, have a brilliant week. Follow Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast, on Facebook and rate and follow wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, cheerio. Cheerio.